imagine being able to do thrusters and breathe like you're going for a walk. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to feel like you'll still have muscular fatigue from moving weight up overhead, Mm -hmm. but metabolically, your system views it as the same where you're bringing in oxygen and it's calm. And that was powerful because we could take each individual athlete, put them on the assault bike and say, okay, you use oxygen to this heart rate. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. In this episode, I share a conversation with Max Finkbeiner and Kate Keynes of Ticker Training, and I first met the two of them several years ago because they'd started doing something very innovative at their affiliate CrossFit Treetown in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They were using portable metabolic analyzers. Imagine wearing a big face mask and a backpack while you're doing your CrossFit workouts. And they use these to test their athletes and tailor their programming intensity to each individual in order to maximize their efficiency in each energy system. Their members bought in and trusted them with this experiment. And since they have experienced incredible results, including more efficient movement, improved performance, less inflammation, less aches and pains and injuries, and improved metabolic function, giving them a greater hedge against chronic disease. They have further honed and shared their methodology to affiliates and trainers across the country, and they've made their methods, philosophy, and training programs available to athletes around the world with remote testing and assessments and programming. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Max and Kate about their ticker approach as much as I have. I'm always excited about how there are more ways we can make our time spent training more efficient and effective for each individual, and they have certainly discovered something powerful here. Now, before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm very excited to be here today with Max Finkbeiner and Kate Keynes of Ticker Training. Um, we first met, I guess, it, I don't know the exact, it was several years ago in Ann Arbor um, at your gym, which at that time was Treetown CrossFit. Correct. And um, I've just been really fascinated by everything that you all have learned and what you are doing with your athletes. And so I'm excited to talk a little bit more about it today. So thank you for taking the time and coming on the podcast. Thanks for yeah, awesome. Thanks for having us on, Julie. <laughs> you know, since you were at the gym that day, I was like, oh, we got to talk about this on your podcast at some yes, point. Yes, so absolutely. Well, today's the day. Yeah. Today's the day. Yeah, here we are. Um, that was a couple years ago now, wasn't it? It was. It had to have been two or three years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because after that, we spent some time chatting mm-hmm. on, or even at the CrossFit Health seminars and stuff mm-hmm. like that, yes, so. Yep. And I think yeah. you came, you guys came to Cleveland and did some testing there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Lots of things. So, well, let's just start first with each of your backgrounds, because you each have different athletic backgrounds that then brought you into CrossFit. So let's start there just to get a better idea of where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so I was a, a cross-country runner, thought I was a basketball player for a while. <laughs> Uh, then after high school running, went on to, to run in college a little bit, um, you know, worked really hard at that till it wore me out and then, uh, picked up a bicycle, uh, had a natural gift and natural talent for that, or 
I just taught myself to suffer well enough uh, <laughs> that I, that I adapted pretty quickly on a bike and, you know, was a, was a domestic pro for, oh, four years or so where I was racing all around the U S and actually got the opportunity to, to go race in Tibet, uh, which was a pretty cool experience. Wow. It, was, it was horribly hard, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like the name of the race is like <laughs> race to the top of the world. Wow. I remember one day we started a stage at uh, 16,000 feet elevation. And that's like the elevation of Everest. So, wow. But anyway, Talk about so after the, <laughs> yeah, after that cycling career, uh, you know, I came home, uh, started designing landscapes until I found CrossFit about 10, 11 years ago. And it, and then started coaching shortly after, uh, you know, got my L1 and then not too long after my L2 and, you know, started, found I had a knack for, for movement and helping people in, improve their movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to suffer. Uh, so it, it came uh, very natural to me at that time mm-hmm. and opened my affiliate a few years after being introduced to CrossFit. And, you know, from there, it's just been quite a journey of getting to the point where I am now of just experiences that have led me to all oh, this thing called ticker. Mm-hmm. So, and do you think it was just that you love to suffer or what was it about CrossFit that really caught your attention that made you want to make it such a big part of your life to the point that you opened a gym? Yeah. Um, it, it had a huge impact on me, on my physical stature, you know, yeah. from being a runner and then, you know, I had little bitty shoulders <laughs> and then I turned into a cyclist and I had this big butt and big legs and little bitty shoulders, <laughs> you know, and as a man, and I don't know, it's, I don't, I don't find that I uh, <laughs> clearly thought that was awesome. I have a picture I should share at some point with you, Julie, but it's like, <laughs> I'm just, very little shoulders and <laughs> a huge butt from riding bikes all the time. So, um, you know, I, when I started CrossFit, I can still remember, like I was probably about eight, well, let's say three months in and I went to REI, I was going to do a, a tough mudder and I was like, Oh, I need some gear. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd been running a lot and I walk into the mirror and I'm like, you know, I could see a total difference. <laughs> And I call my friend that goes to REI. I'm like, hey, do they have special mirrors here? She's like, <laughs> me. I was like, well, I got all this, I got traps. Super cool. You know? So, you know, you, you know how that kind of gets, you get addicted to that mm-hmm. and you see improvement. And, you know, I, I went on that, that CrossFit train of just building muscle and getting better and having improvements just, you know, pretty much straight for four years, mm-hmm. right? You're just on this upward trend for, mm-hmm you know, improvement. And that's very addicting and loved it and loved the, the community of people that it, that it, that it attracted that type a personality where everybody wants to be better and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I just decided there was a spot in Ann Arbor. I was like, man, this area right here needs a gym. Mm-hmm. Found a little spot, 1200 square feet. It was like $2,000 a month for rent right in Cary town, which, you know, yeah, and, it's a great um, spot. You got yeah. All the students there. Yeah. And then uh, about eight months in, we were outgrowing that space. We had like 80 members starting from scratch and zero and uh, the space across the street opened up, which is where you, you came to. And it was a perfect building for that and a perfect spot. Rent was a little high, but <laughs> yeah, it was, and, and the neighbors didn't really like us, but, you know, we just took off and, you know, we, uh, 
-hmm. just were doing typical CrossFit. I went in and out of programming with, um, followed comp train for a little while, was doing my own stuff for a while, just was kind of letting the members a little bit dictate things, Mm -hmm. um, which was fine. But um, as an owner, as a coach, and as somebody that's trying to have an impact on people's health, it didn't give you a lot of satisfaction in that. So it's interesting how you talk about, um, you know, rent was higher and you just started. So I came in when we moved across the street, you know, that okay. and, um, the neighbors, when he said the neighbors didn't like us, they didn't, but <laughs> it almost, it's like the CrossFit kind of they're the community, right? We mm-hmm. all came together and we proved we're actually going to be great neighbors. We have something that everybody needs in this neighborhood because our gym was an industrial building within a neighborhood and very up and coming like gentrified neighborhood. And I remember we had to go to the city and everyone wrote letters saying like, we really want to be in here. We want to run on the street and we want to wave to you high while we come by. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we'll have parties and we'll bring you in and you can all be here. And it was like that sense of community that CrossFit embodies, right. That brings us in. And then kind of talking about how we evolved, like to be able to stay and do what we do, we had to change enough so that we could have, you know, more and everyone from the neighborhood and our community to be able to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my athletic background, I was a ballet dancer growing up and um, I started CrossFit because I wanted, Max moved in right in my neighborhood, you know, right <laughs> to ride my bike there. Um, and my background educationally was in science and communication. And as I started bringing in, you know, I love the idea of coming in and doing the workout. But for me, the like the quick Metcons wasn't mm-hmm. enough. I wanted to do more. This is super fun. I want to be more involved. I want to like carry on. And I was always a more endurance. Like I rode my bike, um, not professionally, not in Tibet. I stayed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just like us normal people uh, riding around I the neighborhood. Ride. <laughs> ride here on River Drive, you know what yeah. I mean? But I love the idea of having capacity, endurance, and the ability to do it. So it was the idea that if I could do CrossFit and increase my capacity in everything that I did, you know, the whole thing of like, it is for everyone, even just a mom, you know, that's coming to ride her bike with her kids. I started that, but started to notice that the people that Max attracted were people that wanted to be like him and compete in the sport of fitness, but also people like me and also grandma and also all these other people. And I remember sitting down and he was after a really long workout, um, And I was like, this is it. We're going to like, I want to develop something that could be more for more people. You know, he had the competitive market. I never wanted to be competitive. And I'm like, what if I build an endurance program and make all of our members be able to do this even more, you know, we can take him in. So I developed an endurance program in the back room where we basically Mm -hmm. just rode bikes on trainers. (laughs) (laughs) And I stood on a box and entertained them, but it was the start of something where it was like, there is more to this. If we truly love what we have and what we do, there could be something else. Mm -hmm. And so how did you then start to stumble upon the idea of using a metabolic analyzer to get more data and drive what you're doing in the gym? Yeah. So I don't know that that's like, or did I skip some steps? Maybe no, I skipped a few, a great, a few that's steps that's along the way. Into it. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I do want to kind of go back to a little bit of, of a story about why Julie mm-hmm. or how we came about it, because I think that's important. You know, sometimes in the world of, I don't know, let's just even call it health 
And sometimes the people that have had some of the roughest journeys are, are the greatest caregivers, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of use that as an example, just because like I grew up on a farm in, in Saline, Michigan and with a very busy dad, right? Mm-hmm. That as a young child, that's, you know, as a young boy, all you want is dad to tell you a good job, right? Yeah. So I started, you know, when I was probably six or seven, I'd run down the lane and back and dad pat you on the back, right? Go, good job. You know, so then all of a sudden it turns into, dad, I did it in six minutes. I did it in five minutes. <laughs> you know, and you, you get that adulation, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's great. And I only say this because there's probably a lot of people in the world that can kind of relate to that, I think, because all of a sudden you're a 45 year old man wanting somebody to pat you on the back and tell you a good job. You know, and so I took that kind of tenacity to my running and I was never a gifted runner, but I got to the point where I, I mean, I don't know, like I could run, mm-hmm. like I could suffer and I trained and the coaches might say, go do slow, easy distance. So that, that meant nothing to me. <laughs> All I heard was more is better. If fast is good, faster is better. Mm-hmm. And that no pain, no gain mentality got me to the point where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could, I ran a 418 mile on what I would consider a very moderate or average VO2 max. So I, I learned to, to utilize lactic acid at a young age and then carry that into my professional cycling. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but both of those careers, oddly enough, were about the same time frame, about six years, mm-hmm. where just the grind of beating yourself up every day wore me out. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn my lesson there. Then I turned to CrossFit, started that about, I don't know, I guess about 35 years old. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh man, I love this. And at that time, getting to regionals was, it, it was, you know, in 2012 was completely different than mm-hmm. the level now. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I was too skinny and, and not strong enough still at that point. But man, if I could have just snatched 155 a little faster that year, <laughs> I wasn't that far away. Yeah. But it was from just working really hard at really high intensity and getting that quick result. Mm-hmm. Right. So I started this cycle again. You know, when I started my bike racing career, I want to be a pro within three years. You know, mm-hmm. I started CrossFit. I want to be a games athlete or not a games athlete. I never had that aspiration, but I thought maybe I can qualify for regionals. Yeah. And that was like a three-year thing. And then the competition and the sport mm-hmm. grew and there was no chance. But either way, I was trying really hard mm-hmm. and I could suffer. I mean, I could suffer. I have mm-hmm. a, from testing back in the day when I was at the peak of my bike race and I have a 68 VO2 max. It's very, what I would call average. I mean, it's for, me, um, for a professional bike race. Yes, yeah. yes, it's at the <laughs> bottom layer of. It's like they're almost like mm, probably should give it up, but I mean, I can tell you that took a lot of work to get there. Yeah, but then I when I started crossfitting, you know, about four years in, everything was starting to plateau. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as my cycling, same as my running, and just things were really, you know, when you're at your peak, Julian, you can relate to this. There's a time where you can't suffer enough. Mm-hmm. You're just like, bring it, give me more. Mm-hmm. I want to drool. I want to snot. I want <laughs> to just murder myself. <laughs> and there comes a point where you're just like, man, I just, I can't do that to myself anymore. I can't find that part of my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And what that is uh, in, from the research that I've done is it's really just 
mitochondrial damage. Your energy system is broken. You know how to produce energy in one way and one way only, and you're not recovering, you're not repaired. And it's just a slow degradation of just your, your, your mood, your stress levels are too high. Um, everything is just, you're just worn out. And it kind of hit me. I think it was, well, it was about four years ago now. And I just done the, the master's qualifier, or maybe it was the open. And I, I, had, I don't know, I'd finished 80th in the world for the, for the 40 to 44 year old men. And, mm-hmm. and I can remember my wife was about eight months pregnant and I went for a walk and she's vomiting along, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, baby, I got to sit down. I'm, I'm way too fit to be out here walking with you. <laughs> you know, and at this time, I was just doing my gym's programming. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, if I feel like this, what am I doing to my members mm. that I'm preaching health and I'm preaching all this stuff to? And it's like, man, I'm just kind of wearing them out. And, you know, I, and I was noticing members were coming you know, two, three days a week when they were there, they were giving it everything they had, Julie, I can Mm -hmm. promise you that because they were, they were tenacious and they were having good results. Mm -hmm. And they were chomping at the bit for more. I mean, that was the key is that you look at them and you end the day and you look out on the floor and you see all these people high-fiving and they're happy and they're excited. But then at the same point, it's like you watch them come in 15 minutes early to mobilize their shoulders, you know, and these are guys that live in Ann Arbor that work at the university in the hospital. And it was that disconnect of exactly that. They want more, but, you yeah. know, if you get to the point where you give them more and you can't go for a walk. Yeah. That's, not, and that's a problem. Yeah. Well, that's not health anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, people are like one thruster away from, you know, just a store back or mm-hmm. not feeling mm-hmm. really good, you know? So. Well, just, it goes back to that. Like, what is your goal, right? We're, we're doing what we do in the gym so that we can be better at life outside the gym. And if we're having right. to do extra mobilization and all this stuff just so that we can feel good about our workouts then. And we're not able to go for a walk with our eight month pregnant wife. Yeah. Mowing the grass. That was what I was like, and I'm really fit. Why is mowing the grass so tiring? Um, Okay. So, so once you started to have some of these realizations and experiences, where did you go from there? I think the fun was when we started, for whatever reason, I always wore heart rate monitors when I bike, just so mm-hmm. I could see some metric of change. And I remember it was a day that we both put a heart rate monitor on. We propped our little phones up in the corner of the gym and we're like, let's see what our heart rates do during CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone can figure out where heart rate's obviously going to go up through CrossFit. And I remember, I mean, Max, you can talk more about Dr. Maffetone and how then you related into... Um, you know, endurance training for running and endurance training for cycling, that was an incredible amount of volume. I mean, we never looked at CrossFit as volume training, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what led you there. And I was just kind of at the same point, it was fun to see how that reacted between two different people. Yeah. Well, so that kind of brings up a good point. Look at even um, with, with CrossFit Treetown, with our programming, we would still have a season and a cycle, right? Where we'd try to amp up and be really ready to go for the open. And then we'd mm-hmm. kind of chill out for a little while. Well, it was shortly after the open. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take that same philosophy that I did. And, and I had had some other experiences with some other mentors and stuff like that about just, you know, doing more aerobic work. And I kind of was like, well, 
I just want to make all contractions aerobic for a while, just like I would do, like I was supposed to do on my bike or on my mm -hmm. running, or I just, I'm just going to, I'm going to program like six months of just what I would call zone two, zone three work mm -hmm. with CrossFit. And I did this big talk at the gym and, uh, and I, what, I think it was a hundred wall balls. No, a, a thousand wall balls for time. And oh my big, gosh, how long did that take? <laughs> well, we didn't end up doing it. We just did the talk about it. <laughs> but the premise was similar to this. And I kind of had some revelations along the way too, Julie, as I was watching a lot of my athletes in the gym and the athletes that would finish a workout that, ever, you know, 80%, 90% of the people are flat on their back. Mm -hmm. There's always a handful of people that walk around the gym and they're like, I was like, how was that? And they're like, it was fine. And they were relatively fat, <laughs> yeah. but they had such an aerobic system that they couldn't do that to themselves, mm -hmm. right? They had not trained themselves to be able to dig that far into their nervous system to, to suffer. And not only did they be like, Oh, it was fine. They were the ones that were at the gym every day. Mm. They were the ones that never complained of a shoulder injury or any hips hurting or knees hurting mm -hmm. or back hurting. And I started to recognize something that, I need to do, I need to get more people like that. Mm -hmm. And were those always, people still getting good results? Those people that, that just. Oh said, yeah. 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 Is they were coming every day and mm -hmm. you know, different results, they wouldn't do a, they wouldn't have a great Fran and that, that that's okay. You know, it's a two minute effort that four minute effort, whatever your level of fitness wants to be. But the thing that was really cool about them is there's different, types of athletes, right? You know, endurance, middle distance, uh, short sprinters. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of focused or programming to that 12 minute AMRAP. Mm -hmm. right? Fits well into the hour class. Yep. Yes. You Sometimes got you can it. do a lift in there too. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of started taking the approach. I was like, okay, during these, during the quote unquote off season, I just want to have a lot of aerobic work. I want people to just do good movement patterns and build volume, just like we used to do in running, just volume, volume, volume. Mm -hmm. So I would just program workouts. And, you know, by the end of the workout, we'd done 300 wall balls, people like, Oh, and then people like would kind of complain, right? Because I'm trying to get them to slow down, right? Mm -hmm. They trusted me enough and liked me enough. I don't know why, but they did. And, and I, and they were slowing down and they're like, I don't know, Max, I just don't feel like I did anything. And I'm like, well, you just did 300 wall balls and 120 toes to bar. Like that's kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and they're like, well, yeah, but I don't feel like I, you know, did anything. And I was like, well, when somebody goes and runs 10 miles, do they flail around on the floor? And they're like, well, probably not. I'm like, do you think that was a waste of their time? Well, no, they ran 10 miles. Like, yeah, they ran 10 miles. Just like you did 300 wall balls and you did 120 toes to bars. Or it could be you did, you know, 75 front squats and, you know, 600 double unders. Mm -hmm. And you just, and you didn't think much of it. I think one of the biggest, um, during that time period before we started proving ourselves, so to speak, with metabolic testing and science, was I remember talking to a member and we had the endurance program too. And so when Max started saying, you know, there was a group of people that weren't necessarily our super competitive athletes that were like mm -hmm. killing the, you know, Fran times or the grace times or Isabel times. 
but they had fun while doing it. A lot of those people like me just wanted more. So my, in the back room, we had what we called GOAT, goal-oriented aerobic training. And that's kind of where most of it was long monostructural stuff. But as those people started to the CrossFit classes, they were able to maintain their um, near level of moving weight, moving wall balls, you know, on a nice even keel because they had done a lot of zone two and three work. And not everyone wanted to do an hour's worth of, you know, um, box step ups and biking or whatever. And so those didn't, but I remember standing and talking to one member and got the same thing as what Max heard is it doesn't feel like I didn't read anything. And so I'm like, well, okay. Cause at that point, I think we had them monitoring something. We had them monitoring their heart rate and we mm-hmm. were telling them to work at a very specific, what we guessed would be their aerobic heart rate, their zone two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, think about this. That's what you can do at zone two. So you're doing thrusters. You have to do a hundred thrusters and your heart rate skyrockets. So we tell you to take all the weight off the bar and you're doing, you know, 45 pound, 35, 45 pound thrusters. And that's your zone two. What if you made that better? Like that's your ceiling. Mm-hmm. So then what are you capable of if you raise that ceiling? And that was powerful because then it's like, wait, there's more. There's a possibility <laughs> to get better at this. Mm-hmm. But it was that whole thing of like, how are we going to prove it? You know, we can tell you just work at, you know, 135 beats and eventually you'll get better at it. But yeah. you know, well, I think it goes back to, to like implementing even what what CrossFit is when you talk about the methodology on the whiteboard and the energy systems, like, and then how that's implemented in real life is sometimes different. But when we talk about wanting to train evenly across all the energy systems to be more balanced, oftentimes when you get into, you know, in a 60 minute class, which needs a warm up and a cool down and some sort of instruction, it really limits the amount of time. And so most of the workouts fall into these shorter, really short, like Fran or Grace, or Isabel or like a 12 minute time domain. And then we've realized we're spending all of our time there and people are getting really good at going into that intense, um, you know, high intensity for a very short amount of time. And they don't get the same kind of base in those longer time domains. Um, like even if you would do, you know, what's programmed on the main side of a 5k or a 10k run or row, a lot of times people are skipping those days because they think that it's, you know, not as exciting as doing Fran. <laughs> yeah. Or or they're hitting them and they're hitting them really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, our point was then, you know, where is intensity? Mm-hmm. What is intensity? Like just because we've got one person able to do that, you know, here and here and here, and they're all, di- I mean, obviously everybody's different, but what if someone's zone two is someone's zone five? And that's kind of where it came into. You do need to train all the, the energy systems. And we did train we didn't just slow down CrossFit and do really slow CrossFit. That was one question we got, like, do you just go really slow all the time? <laughs> no. The idea was to train across every energy system, but to define that intensity and define where the energy systems work. Mm-hmm. And that's what led us to do metabolic testing um, because we needed to prove that we, you know, there are different energy systems to train. And if we can figure out where those are, then we can do it in a way that makes the most amount of sense, you know, the smartest way possible. Yeah, because I don't know if you want to try to like make yourself crazy, try to tell a bunch of CrossFitters that they should slow down from time to time. Right. Here can I, you're not going to get a lot of people thinking that's a great idea. Or slow down while you train thrusters and pull-ups and then try to do them really fast. And, you know, the idea is you have to train it to be better at fast, but you don't train faster to be better at faster. Right. So that's, 
So your first, so we're almost getting to answer your original question. <laughs> you know, so why did we use metabolic testing? Well, I kind of use this as an example, just as like, well, first of all, I wanted to prove to everybody that doing 45 pound thrusters for a while, just doing high volume of them and at a slower pace at a lower heart rate is going to make metabolic adaptions that are going to serve you well at all levels of fitness at all different intensities. Mm -hmm. So I needed to, all these people that have trusted me for the last six months that were slowing down, that didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I needed to show them, although you don't like it, this is going to be really, really good for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we bought a metabolic analysis from Pinoe just to, to prove that, that I wasn't full of shit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so when we started implementing this, I think it was January of 2017 or 2018. And right before I did this, I did a whole bunch of assessments on our athletes and they were all like tests, like hard tests, four minute tests, 12 minute tests, um, about a 20 minute test. Mm -hmm. And they all involved what I just call like dummy movements, Mm -hmm. things you can't screw up, right? Just it's not, you're not going to get better at these things by improving the skill. You're going to get better at these things by improving your work capacity. Okay. So like examples like like squats or burpees or things like that. Yeah. It was burpees and dumbbell snatches, Mm -hmm. you know, um, push press and assault bike, Mm -hmm. you know, just in, in the Mm -hmm. test all had different time domains. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was like, okay, well, we're going to test everybody. And then we're going to slow them down. We've slowed down for about six months. Mm -hmm. You say Kate was about six months. And then I was like, all right, let's redo those bad boys. And I had, I had this one member, she, she texted me. She's like, I'm not even coming in today. There's no way I'm going to do better. And I was like, come on in, prove me wrong. So you can go back into crushing it every day for 12 minutes, you know? Yeah. And I, I like, just kind of show like, Hey, we were missing part of our fitness. Mm-hmm. And she comes back and, you know, this is like a 20 minute effort. She's a minute 30 faster. Wow. And this was across the board, Julie. This mm-hmm. was every single person. Mm-hmm. And the reports on those two weren't just I got faster and I just suffered more. It was I got faster, but it was almost like, huh? Yeah. Like, how'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. They, they walked away from it. We had, like it didn't we, necessarily feel harder. Correct. We had, and that was, there's so many conversations that I could get off of, get get into with that kind of statement, Julie, because people would always be like. I just don't feel like I went that hard. It's like, <laughs> you were a minute faster though. That, that, there's another reason that we bought the metabolic analysis. Yeah. I don't want to talk about feelings anymore. Yeah. yeah. Prove you that you're faster, you're better. So you can't tell me you don't feel like you're getting a workout. And yeah. Can you explain oh, what the metabolic analyzer is? So I think like for people listening, yeah. obviously just the fact that you pre-tested these workouts in different time domains, you did an intervention, which was kind of forcing people to slow down a little bit and then retested and you see they got faster. That is telling me their fitness is improving, but what additional information and data are you getting from the metabolic analysis that's helping to guide this? Go ahead. The metabolic test is what it is. It's a mask on your face and a backpack on your back. And I have you ride an assault bike at increasing intensity, um, RPMs Mm -hmm. until you can't maintain my intensity anymore, the RPMs. And then we watch recovery. What it measures is the amount of oxygen you bring in in relation to the carbon dioxide that you breathe out. Then I get a really cool report on the screen that tells me things like your VO2 max, which is on the assault bike in that moment. Um, 
it gives me an idea of how much oxygen to carbon dioxide you're using. And that's a very specific ratio that we use to measure stress. And I liken this to runners. Like when you go out for a run, if you're not a runner, most people, especially CrossFitters hate running because it hurts and it's hard and you Mm -hmm. breathe heavy. And so I think about it and I'm like, okay, so everything, the goal in life is to breathe air. That's our job as humans is to breathe. (laughs) But what it is, is it shows us where we stop using oxygen in relation where we're not bringing in more oxygen to carbon dioxide. So then the metabolic portion of it is your body allows you to burn fat as a fuel source while you're breathing in oxygen the most. So we use those two words in congruency of each other. So I can see where you're burning fat, where you're efficient versus when you cross over to breathing out more CO2 than you're breathing in. So that's when you're running and you feel like I'm taking a deep breath in and you're huffing out a lot or your breath rate goes up really high. That's really stressful on your system that's when you're burning carbohydrates for fuel. And so we can show on a chart where you're using oxygen and fat versus carbohydrates and breathing out CO2. And the most powerful thing was to show these people that are more aerobic athletes, aerobic means obviously with oxygen, can hold on for a significant amount of time with oxygen. So then you take them back to those thrusters and I'm told them like, imagine being able to do thrusters and breathe like you're going for a walk. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to feel like you'll still have muscular fatigue from moving weight up overhead, Mm -hmm. but metabolically your system views it as the same where you're bringing in oxygen and it's calm. And that was powerful because we could take each individual athlete, put them on the assault bike and say, okay, you use oxygen to this heart rate. Therefore, as long as you can do those things at that heart rate, and for some people, it was like, you know, 160 beats. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's like 100 beats. Mm -hmm. And that started those conversations a little bit too about like, hey, you really only breathe easy to 110 beats a minute. Why? It's not necessarily like you're on an assault bike. It requires no skill. (laughs) (laughs) You're sitting here now. um, But then it started bringing in those conversations for us about health. How do you eat? How do you sleep? How's your stress? You know, and I remember having athletes come in and I'd be like, you know, you've got a lot of stress in your life. Something's going to give the body can only take so much and it shouldn't be your workout. It shouldn't be the exercise that you do to come in to better yourself. And so for us to be able to pinpoint those moments was key. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a great point, Kate, that you make as far as you know, this metabolic analysis device has really brought a level of expertise and guidance for us as coaches to have really valuable conversations mm-hmm. that improve members' health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that PANOI or that metabolic analysis device gives a really big insight into their level of physical and emotional stress. We mm-hmm. see it in our ER numbers. And that RER number is that ratio between oxygen in CO2 out. And you can see it when we, so it's not that these numbers are set. These numbers can very much be manipulated by diet, exercise, stress management, sleep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one of our, our things at Ticker that we've been striving for is is defining health and you know i woke up i don't know getting ready for this podcast julie and i woke up at 3 a.m and i kind of was like you know no one is ever actually achieved health we're just constantly practicing it Mm -hmm. 
because our bodies are in a constant state of, you know, influx and trying to find homeostasis. And we just constantly get in its way with work, life, sleep, stress, mm-hmm. fear, exercise. Yeah. too much exercise, not enough exercise, right? So this, this metabolic device allows us, because if somebody puts this thing on and they immediately are only burning carbohydrates, that gives us some insight really quick into, okay, so let's back up for a second. Somebody with a really nice metabolic profile, which would be somebody that I would consider that can burn fat or utilize oxygen really well into higher intensity or higher heart rates, and then go into carbohydrate, then just chill out for a hot second and go back into fat burn. Mm -hmm. Many, many people that don't have a well-trained aerobic system or metabolic system, the minute they do anything that is of any intensity, they go straight to sugar. Mm-hmm. And some people that's sitting around, right? Laying around, they burn sugar because of food, diet, and poor, poor health and lifestyle choices, right? But what this does for us, and that Kate has become a master at, is when she looks at somebody's profile, and she starts giving advice on where they need to train, and where they need to, and, and maybe some small food choices to make some changes, because not everybody reacts poorly to carbohydrates. Not everybody. They're not insulin resistant. They're, they, they utilize it just fine and they can still burn fat at lower intensities. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have become really, really good at, I think, is defining intensity for people so they learn where's the switch. If I stay here too long, this is going to make me sore. This is going to potentially do the negative on my health. Mm-hmm. They also recognize like, hey, I need to play in this intensity a little bit to improve my cardiovascular strength, right? But they also know like, man, I don't feel like that would be good for me today. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep well, you know? There, there's so many avenues to this thing, Julie, that we've kind of like, stumbled across like for example crossfit tree town when you came to the gym we were really really good for that hour that you were in front of us but i would always talk with my coaches about man just the minute they leave it's just too hard to help them i i have no way to to keep up with them and to continue to improve their health Mm -hmm. and the minute we started doing metabolic analysis and watching heart rates like, so I use myself as an example. So if I can generally row on my rower at, uh, let's just call it 900 calories per hour, it'd be about 130 beats for me. That was a really high fat pull. That would be my general fitness level, right? And then the next day I come in, I go to do that same thing. But the night before I ate Chinese food. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden my pace is 750 at that heart rate. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I'm starting to recognize like my choices outside this gym are affecting how I perform. Mm -hmm. And that performance, all it's telling me is like, hey, Max, to continue to pull fat and to continue to not overstress yourself at that heart rate, maybe you shouldn't eat Chinese food. Mm -hmm. Give us an immediate way to connect with our, our members, our clients in the moment. Um, and that's why we used heart rate. It is the fastest bit of feedback that we could get immediately. 
Um, you know, and there are lots of other things that we analyze with that. But, you know, if you came in, that was a, something that everybody could look at. And it's interesting because we had worn heart rate monitors while doing CrossFit before. We're like, mm-hmm. like, hey, look, thrusters, make your heart rate go up. But does it make your heart rate go up more or less than the day before? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, you know, sleep stress or something else? Or do you not know why your heart rate is up that day? You know, mm-hmm. and that's another conversation of like, oh, man, something is bothering me or I'm overtrained or Um, Or I've made metabolic adaption. So Max had mentioned earlier that, you know, for some people, it was being able to become metabolically flexible to hit, you know, the top zone four or five and come back down. And then some people, the ones that, you know, couldn't train that energy system. And that became important too. You do these metabolic analysis and be like, you use oxygen phenomenally. You're a great athlete. But what about if you want to, you know, you've earned the right with, being able to be efficient and feeling good, but then you really want to go and hit a two minute Fran. Well, that's going to be training that then we can decide where that happens, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can see adjustments here, there, and everywhere else. Um, it really individualized programming, even in a general sense to optimize for health and performance, depending on the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, so then suddenly our community is that much more involved with us and they're coming in more and it's. Um, yeah. Let me pick up on that. Kate, like, the other thing that was cool about monitoring people's heart rate is we'd redo workouts, right? So the first time they do it, let's just say they got a hundred reps, but their average heart rate was 165. Well, then three months later, they do the hundred, they do 115 reps, but their average heart rate was 140. Mm-hmm. That was pretty powerful for people to see like, wow, something's different. I'm making changes. I didn't have to work as hard and I still did better. That was lower stress and the same effort. Yeah. And we, so we have just thousands of workouts like that. And we watch people's heart rate trends that, that, uh, you know, we have a few people in the industry of CrossFit and they think heart rate monitoring is stupid and you're going to have a certain reaction. They're not understanding that you can manipulate this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it wasn't just one test. You get an no. initial test. And Max and I would wear, um, we would wear the the metabolic analyzers and not just sit on an assault bike. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we would do adjustments and and thrusters, you know, anything that we didn't hit the mass with. Yeah. You'd watch what happens under the stress of all sorts of different exercises. Which and is it, so new too, right? Like the this is the the first time where you've had portable metabolic analyzers that will allow you to do functional movements and be able to do pull-ups and thrusters and all kinds of stuff where traditionally that was only able to be done on a bike or on a treadmill or something like that. So we're, we're learning now physiologically what's happening in these CrossFit workouts, which have been so effective at improving fitness, but now we're able to actually see what's going on on a metabolic level. Yeah, which is a fun thing too, to figure out, like, you know, Max figured out anything pressing overhead, Mm -hmm. um, wasn't a strong movement. It was stressful on him. Um, you know, but something like squatting was not, and it's different for everybody. Um, so then taking in these initial tests and then training, and not only did they see changes in their results, but then to be able to ask for another test, like, Hey, I want to see where I'm at. You know, I noticed that I was 20 beats lower on that same workout. What does that mean? You know, for me to then retest them and be like, that means that you're using oxygen longer. So you're getting, you know, you're breathing easier while doing harder and more things, you know, how fast, how skilled, how heavy can you go 
while still being efficient, not stressing your body. Then we noticed it makes you can get into this too. Cause as you watched your people that you started the gym with, we noticed them looking healthier, you know, mm-hmm. turning the right color because they're using oxygen more. Um, they were we- at the gym every day. They, they mm-hmm. weren't just three day a weekers anymore. Two days, they were coming all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was super fun to see. And just the, the other things that everybody was. So, so we have this metabolic device that shows changes in your mm-hmm. stress loads at, at exercise and at rest. But we also do these things, the symptom surveys and just what I would call Mm -hmm. like a a health questionnaire Mm -hmm. scores were going down on those. If you were to ask people like, are you sleeping better? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you eating less sugar? Yes. You know, um, migraines, tummy aches, heartburn, all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the hardest things is, as in the CrossFit community, we get a little bit caught up like, oh, I exercise so I can eat donuts. And we kind of glorify that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, like if you're going to go and burn sugar, like for an hour and your body only knows sugar, guess what you're going to crave when you're done? Mm-hmm. You're going to crave sugar. And, you know, so kind of that was another what we would just kind of consider things that we noticed with people. They would just talk about like they don't crave as much sugar. Well, yeah, you're you're not requiring as much for energy throughout the day because you're utilizing more fat. I mean, we have infinite amounts of fat to burn Mm -hmm. uh, in our bodies, but if you can't, if your mitochondria is not tapping into it, you'll continue to ask for sugar. And they wanted it. You know, that was a thing that we asked people to fast before the test. So we can see what the actual, their metabolic response is under the stress of exercise Mm -hmm. without outside influence. And they started to quickly figure out, and we did studies where I had, you know, Hey, I had a woman come in and eat 15 gummy bears and a cliff bar before her metabolic test and <laughs> she nailed it for being a sugar burner. And she's like, did I win? And I was like, you won something, <laughs> but you know, and they quickly figured out that the metabolic profile was definitely impacted by what they ate, how mm-hmm. they slept how they trained. So they stopped doing those things that were detriments to their health because they wanted to mm-hmm. have that better, you know, look into their metabolism and their health, which then, you know, Hey, if I get five beats on, you know, the heart rate, I get to train at, and all I have to do is go to bed at nine and not eat ice cream before then mm-hmm. it was powerful. You know, we're encouraging them to take responsibility and control of their life outside of the gym so that their life inside of the gym was hugely impacted and then they felt better and then they could do more. Mm -hmm. And that was a good motivation for a lot of type A CrossFit personalities. They want to try to, how can I optimize this? Because that's really like at first, when you start doing some of our ticker programming, it's like generally your metabolic profile isn't awesome. You don't understand it. You haven't spent enough time doing aerobic contractions. So at first, results are a little bit slow. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say results, I mean, maybe losing fat, maybe building muscle, maybe being able to go as fast as you want. But the results internally, metabolically that are happening are very fast. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and we make changes very, very quickly. And we have thousands of tests pre and post now that prove that mm-hmm. you just have to do a, a handful of things and you can make major metabolic adaptions Mm -hmm. and all the side effects of being a flexible metabolically person 
turns into a better overhead position, a better overhead squat, a smoother um, uh, back squat where you can find lower depth, less mm-hmm. aches and pains. All these things are 100% related to being able to utilize fat at higher intensities because fat doesn't require as, is the sugar. It doesn't get as hot. It doesn't create the inflammation and it allows you more time to, um, to be able to do more work. Mm-hmm. So part of it is just understanding where you are in, in your life cycle of either training or health. And I, I will, if anybody wants to argue and, and tell me that there's a better method or a better way to show people in improving their health by improving their metabolic profile, bring it on. I'll, I'm sure I can find a lot of quote unquote experts to come support me on that because if you are reducing inflammation and re- inflammation comes in many, many manners. Mm-hmm. And if, and if you are a metabolically flexible person, you're going to feel better, sleep mm-hmm. better, eat better. And that that's, and it doesn't come fast. I mean, into that point, I remember telling people like, if it's so easy to go slow, then why can't you do it? You know, <laughs> That's right. Especially CrossFitters who are right. like, I don't want to slow down. And volume training is effective in, you know, development of more pathways and movement patterns and um, stress response and energy system training. There is all that that comes with it. And a lot of people are like, you just do a whole lot of CrossFit really slow. We do, but then building up that volume is what opens up the, um, the ability to train and the other energy systems too, and the aerobic skill development, but it's hard. And having the, um, the metabolic analysis device, at least then we can prove that we're making adaptations and we're changing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe your intensity starts here right now, but you make some changes. Now your intensity opens up to be here and it can go the opposite way too. Like, man, you can work all the way up here at this really high heart rate and you can kill some, you know, benchmark workouts you don't want to do those every day or your body is going to not recover. So we also can figure out how to like hit that adaptation range and recovery and prioritize that depending on goals. And that's powerful because if you're going to bother, you know, going into the gym to work on your health, then you better make it about working on your health. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the point to make too, is that it's not like you're changing this training and then you're only training you know, slower workouts in your free and time is going to get worse and all your benchmarks are going to go down. No, actually by training this way, you see people improve those still very short, high intensity benchmark workouts. 100%. They just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. And, and many of us are not. Right. right. <laughs> it's hard we to be patient. We all want to be Rich Froning and Julie Fouché and, <laughs> and Matt Frazier, right? Yeah. But and I would it, say too, I think for me, just anecdotally, um, one of the reasons I think I was so successful when I was competing was that early on my coach programmed tons of volume and I would be in the gym for hours and, you know, yes, I would do still like short, very intense efforts, but I would do a lot of stuff that was just volume. And I think that's what ended up helping me be better at those longer workouts and just better at pacing. And you, you all talk about having those numbers to help guide you and find those thresholds. And I think one of the things that allowed me to be successful is I intuitively could feel when I was crossing those thresholds and was able to pace workouts really well. Um, but that doesn't really come easily to everyone. Cause oftentimes we just push it too hard, too fast. And pacing is a, is a learned skill over time. And so I love 
what this provides because it basically just gives you more data and more numbers to be able to um, do what your body needs. Like you said, whether yeah. it's making lifestyle changes outside the gym, like we all know, yeah, I need to sleep more. I need to have, you know, manage stress. I need to eat better. Like all these things. It's, it's nice to know it, but when you st start to see it in the numbers, then I think that's a lot of times when people start paying attention. So I love just using this as a, as a tool and as data to be able to drive people's decisions inside and outside the gym towards health. And it's yeah. not necessarily just for our competitive athletes either. Mm -hmm. You know, people that have, you know, have a background in competitive sports, um, you know, look for those metrics, but what about, you know, your CrossFit appeals to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. grandma and the mom next door, you know, those people having those metrics too, and seeing, you know, how their stress levels are and how mm -hmm. that affects their exercise. You know, they come into the box and they want to just do something for an hour to better their health. We can help them too. And we can help them learn and understand what a lot of, um, athletes already understand that mm -hmm. like, you know, the why and the how and the, the details of the science behind it and then how to get better and to seek more, mm -hmm. you know, not just be a box checker, went to the gym, but make and, it matter. And to pick up on what Julie said, like Julie had, she was intuitive and knew yeah. I need to just back off a little. We're mm -hmm. able to define where that point is for people, for dummies like me that had, that had spent years either diving into that no pain, no gain that needed the pats on their backs from their dads, you know, the people that are just trying to win the day constantly, like our, our gift of understanding this is teaching people what does intensity mean? Because I know you say it feels easy, but your metabolic profile is telling me this is crushing you. And I don't care what your feelings are from this test, it's showing you are working really hard right now, harder than you need to be. You're wearing yourself out more than you need to be. And I want people to kind of like understand that's just in the gym. Mm -hmm. Kate used to give this talk when she was educating people on this that I thought was really cool. It was like, you know, you're out there doing your laundry and you're not metabolically fit and it's hard work. So what happens by six or three o'clock? You get really tired because living life is too it, more difficult than it needs to be. Why is that? Well, your metabolic system isn't flexible. So our gift is to be able to teach people about some of these things to guide them in their training that will improve their life. And we can talk about countless members that have told us like, oh yeah, I just don't take my three o'clock nap anymore. I feel better throughout the day. I'm not a bad husband. I'm not a jerk to my wife or <laughs> I have more patience with my kids. You know, all those things, nobody wants to be a jerk to their kids. They're just stressed out. They're tired because they're not as healthy as they could be. So, you know, that's probably one of our just defining intensity. I, I don't know how it's probably one of our biggest things that has been successful for us. So people recognize like yeah. how I'm doing throughout the day. I love that. Can you explain, just take us through the process, just, you know, we've talked about a lot, but how this is actually implemented. So from the point of doing the first metabolic test, and then what does the training look like from there uh, into retesting? Yeah, Kate, Kate could probably do the best job with that from a daily basis of like what each client goes through. But 
we have a few things in our gym that we utilize to try to monitor health in Kate, Kate, will you just take, I don't know, kind of answer that question. Right. So, you know, when I bring new clients in on onboarding, it's a pretty comprehensive analysis of life, not just like, Hey, can you squat? Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things we do is obviously the, um, the metabolic analysis. And so we look at the metabolism at rest first in our resting metabolic rate. Have you sit in a chair with a mask on for 10 minutes? And we see what your body does while relaxing. Um, that's really important to know because it gives you an idea of how stressed out your system is, you know, under no stress. Mm-hmm. Then we do the ramp up test and we figure out what your system does under the stress of exercise. So what that tells us is we've talked about this is, you know, where you use oxygen, where you don't use oxygen, where your body gives you what fuel to use and when and where, and we determine that heart rate. I also do body composition analysis in two different ways. We do, um, an in-body analysis that gives us an idea of visceral fat. Um, total body fat, total body water, muscle, bone, all that kind of stuff. Um, we look at those just to monitor progress. So I kind of tell everyone, these are just numbers. It's a snapshot, just like everything else. It is a set of numbers that we're going to look for change in. Um, we use a fit 3d, which spins around and gives a 3d image of, um, the body, which takes a bunch of measurements. So I can see side to side, if we have any muscular disparities between, you know, like, Hey, your left quad is an inch bigger than your right quad. Why? And we can figure that out. And that also gives us an idea of um, alignment and balance and all that kind of stuff. Um, then we do a 3D movement scan. So I put them in front of a camera with a 3D um, mapping technology and I watch them squat and bend and press and move in space so I can see with angles and circles how they actually move. This gives me an idea of what the whole human looks like. So then when we're designing training, we can figure out like, okay, our metabolic profile is here. That's part of it. You're gonna wear a heart rate monitor and we're gonna make that better. But then movement patterns. If your body's stressed out squatting because you, you know, have a bad hip and I can see that your bad hips actually related to like some shoulder something or other, then we can start working in a non-stressful way to fix how you carry yourself in space too. So, you know, you broke your collarbone as a kid and there's a whole bunch of metal there, which causes the musculature to develop in a way that's holding that safe. That's going to affect everything on one side of your body. Well, if I can determine the stress level out in the gym where you're rowing and you're skiing or you're running, and then I can start building up all those little muscles and monitor that progress, suddenly all the numbers get better, Mm. right? And your body's Mm -hmm. not stressed in a movement anymore. Um, and let me pick up on that point that you made real quick. Just, I think that's really important to understand is when we're, when we're doing all of these assessments, the goal is to then utilize that information to make positive adaptions. So why are we constantly talking about slowing down or maybe reducing stress or strain so we can actually adapt to changes? That's what's important. So you hear Kate, she's just casually talking about she can monitor stress and change. Well, why is that? She wants people to have an understanding of what is stressing them metabolically. How hard are they working in the gym? So they have the actual capacity to make adaptions and change movement patterns. Because if she goes out there and says, go, they're going to fall into their same old patterns to survive and to get the work done. Mm-hmm. So that's why we see so many positive movement pattern changes over time is because 
When people are under control in a Metcon and they're just breathing through their nose and having a good time and a, a little bit bored, you know, it gives, and, and Kate can walk by or other coaches, Alex can walk by and say, hey, um, you're pulling to the left on your squat. They can go, thanks. And now they think I need to pull out of that and they can start trying to fire that, you know, right, right glute more. You know, so it's just having that awareness and setting that client or that member up to make positive adaptions without the worry of what's my time. I think one of the um, biggest, the first things we see change in, and this translates into life, is posture. You know, how we hold ourselves in space um, and presence in that matter and confidence, like as humans, when we're out doing whatever it is that we do outside of the gym, uh, we do a postural analysis and the first, you know, change that everybody sees when we spin that body to the side is like before, because we are, you know, a society that spends a lot of time rolled in on our mm -hmm. phones and computers is suddenly you see this like opening and this strong athletic presence well, that makes, you know, your belly look better and your butt look better and your shoulders look better. Right. But it's mm -hmm. also development of all those muscles that are going to hold us in an, in an ability to carry on in life. Um, and that's powerful to see of like, Hey, look, I look better and I feel better when I'm walking to the mailbox. And then you start to be motivated to do other stuff. I kind of joke about like, why do we do deadlifts? Well, when you're a great old lady with, you know, a hundred cats, how are you going to pick up the cat litter? That mm -hmm. stuff's heavy. Right. You know, but it's the idea of like holding posture and teaching these movement things in a non-stressful way that you're not worried about picking up, you know, the cat litter off the ground mm -hmm. um, or your kid oh. or your baby or, you know, being able to go for a walk because you know, your body's functioning in a way that's mm -hmm. healthy. So once you do all the initial testing, what does the training look like? Do you give, you help identify certain movement patterns, give people certain heart rate ranges to train in, and then they're actually wearing heart rate monitors, right? When they're doing their workouts. We put them through a series of assessments where we teach them how to move. Um, everybody does it if you're experienced or you're not. Um, and we get new weights and then we, we put the monitor on it, right? And so the idea is like, okay, we're going to have you do these squatting and this rowing and then we're going to have you row and burpee really, really fast and it's going to suck. And I want you to take note, like Max said, you know, we do all these benchmarks and then they start to learn like, wow my heart rate goes up during squats. I don't recover, but I can ski and it goes down. You know, it depends. And we learn push and pull and squat and all that kind of stuff. Then it depends on their goals. Um, you know, functional movements help outside the gym the most. So as we learn kind of where they fall in um, stress-wise in movement, we can decide, you know, what work to rest ratios do they need to see those adaptations? Do they need long effort? Do they need short efforts? Um, do they need threshold work to try to push that, um, that top end up a little bit to be able to tap into that system? Um, and then we look at that data and we start to just get a big baseline so that when we retest, we can start to see those things of like, Hey, you got two minutes faster. Hey, your heart rate was, you know, 20 beats lower. Mm -hmm. Hey, your posture is so much better. Now you can actually hold front rack. Um, yeah. To simply answer that question, Julie, it depends. Yeah, it depends. A little so it's very bit. individualized. Yeah, uh, it, it, it is. And that's part of the fun of understanding heart rate is some people show up and, you know, I mean, we have general programming for everybody mm -hmm. and then people have to learn 
how to self scale a little bit on that stuff. So like uh, what's today's, today's workout is 12 deadlifts at 155, 105 is the, the prescribed weight and 12 calorie row, 12 box step ups, Mm -hmm. five rounds. Um, I think we put a minute rest and then we do it again. Um, And people have to be aware, like, so 12 deadlifts at 155, if that's pulling your heart rate well out of zone three, you need to do some modifications to that. Mm -hmm. Maybe you only need to do 95 pounds because you're not a great bender. Mm-hmm. You have a tight low back that doesn't allow you to get into a good position or you just don't have the strength. It just, it just depends on, on the individual. Um, so you're still programming workouts for everyone, but then each individual is empowered with the information about themselves to know correct. here's how I need to scale it to get the desired. Correct. We do some workouts where I know we've had several this week where we do some with work to rest ratio. So say we did deadlifts and, um, Growing and box step ups. And we do it like you're going to go through this once, take a minute rest. You're going to do that twice and then take two minutes. Anyway, it's work to rest, then rest five minutes, but do it all for time, but hold that same pace. See what your heart rate does mm-hmm. to kind of teach your body to adapt within there. And that's how you start to learn. Now I used to love at Treetown, we would get drop-ins Mm-hmm. And they would come in and they'd see our workout and they wouldn't necessarily even do the math. Or even if it didn't have a lot of math, mm-hmm. they would go like bike and they would just, I can crush this. This is where I can get ahead. And we would, I remember one woman looking over and she's like, why are all these people going so slow? <laughs> you know, but it was like biking in burpees. Well then, you know, we, you can pick and you learn this in part of the programming. You pick what you're strong at, what you're weak at, and we can guide you on metabolic analysis of, you know, Hey, you've got to bike at 40 RPMs to make sure that you can keep yourself under control to then do burpees and thrusters or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, or you're really efficient at a barbell, but you know, the, the rowing or something challenges something for a mobility thing mm-hmm. and you kind of learn it, but then you get to focus on something while you're working out and you have that immediate feedback of seeing where your heart rate sits and how you recover. So it's kind of fun that everyone could do the same workout, get what they need out of it, mm-hmm. but it's kind of guided by very specific either movement or metabolic adaptions Mm -hmm. or aerobic capacity or muscle Mm -hmm. endurance or something in that way. Let me pick up on that real quick, Kate. That's a great point because we have this workout where it kind of progresses. So everything that we do, we try to progress the aerobic contractions, right? So I'll use this, this really, I don't know, hopefully this will come off as a good example, but like we do 60 power clean and jerks one every, it starts with one every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens over and that it's at 135, it's we, we it's like grace training. Mm-hmm. I think I did this one with you guys and I was doing you probably did. Yeah. And and it's funny if if people are being aware and and they're they're trying to pay attention, like when the bar swings away from you or you don't have a good drop on your mm-hmm. jerk, you'll notice in your rest periods your your heart rate goes up much higher than it does when you have a nice, clean, smooth rep. Mm-hmm. So guess what happens after 60 reps? People are like, oh, I had about 10 good ones. Mm-hmm. And the other ones, but over time, if they do that kind of stuff enough, they start improving movement patterns. So like, true. And, and let's just say it's, you know, so eventually that workout turns into one every 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Then it turns into three touch and go, rest 15 seconds, do it again. You know, so all of these things progress that hopefully doing enough slow reps, eventually you can just 
go faster without having that huge heart rate spike that causes stress. It's so true. I remember a specific workout I did once with wall balls. And I think it was an interval workout, like maybe on the minute or something. And I remember having that process happening in my head of like, you know, I had a few reps where I, I got off balance or I missed the wall or something happened and it just fatigues your whole system so much more. So I spent the rest of the workout being really focused on moving well, getting the right arc on the ball and being able to actually finish the reps in the time frame. And so just having that feedback, I think does really help us to move better and be more efficient. And if you think about the adrenaline response of like, you know, wall ball, you miss, and maybe this counts, Mm -hmm. think about adrenaline response in life, you Mm -hmm. know, breathe fast and that feeling of stress, right? And that's not using oxygen efficiently and breathing out too much CO2. So if you have a bad rep mentally, it's the same idea. Like, oh man, I might've hurt myself or, you know, hit my, you know, missed a rep. It's that Mm -hmm. same idea. So if you do better reps, you stay calmer doing it Mm -hmm. and your system responds accordingly. And some people get that reaction, Kate, that you're describing of that adrenaline rush, the minute they grab the handle on yeah. the door of the gym. Right? So true. Yeah. Oh, you see that like, yes, exercise. <laughs> and, it's so true. And they've turned on this whole fight or flight pattern, mm-hmm. you know, about in their, they're, they're coming to the gym to improve their health. And all you just did when they grabbed that handle was turn on the stress mechanism and all of a sudden they got to pee before they go because they're hyped and they're ready to, you know, fight a bear. Yeah. And it's like, you need to be able to fight that bear being like, yeah, let's go fight the bear. Right. You know, you can have a better outcome potentially because you're just, you're just not, you're going into that fight in a mm-hmm. calm state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's probably, you know, one of the things I recognize for myself mostly is, just the the awareness of the energy systems I was tapping into at different intensities mm-hmm. was so valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember, I wonder how this workout's going to go or I, the open, right? I'm going to compete. I wonder if I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. Well, I don't know, dummy, are you going to go out too fast and then try to hang on and not be able to keep the pace? Or are you going to actually listen to what you've been taught? Mm-hmm. Well, you bring up a good point when you said compete every day, like, and that's one thing we say is like, we train every day, we test to make sure our training is working. And we expect you to go all out on this testing. But then we compete for fun. You know, if that is something that you want, but those are all different things. And it's that walking into the gym to compete with everybody. That's not an idea of health. Mm-hmm. You know, training is to better yourself, mm-hmm. you know, testing is to make sure your training is working and then competing is the fun part about it. And right. so it's trying to find that balance. Right. That's beautiful. Well, I love everything that you guys are doing and I love just being so empowered with so much more data to help drive our behaviors and really be focused on improving our health overall. And you know, interestingly enough, if we focus on improving our health, probably our fitness is also going to improve, especially if you look over the spectrum of our entire life. Um, you know, Greg Glassman always used to say that our goal is a long, slow trajectory to a distant horizon. And I think so many people start cross it, like you said, Max, in those first six months, first year, you're just seeing all the improvements and you want to get there really fast. But maybe if we do this in the right way over the course of 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to get more fitness overall and more health in the process. Absolutely. Um, so I want to move to three questions that I owe or that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So you guys can each answer them. 
Um, the first thing is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Oh man, there are only three things. Those are, I know you have to narrow it down. <laughs> um, three things that I do, um, daily to improve my health. Um, I think my training, you know, my mm -hmm. coming in and making sure that I know what I'm doing. Um, and I'm making that count. Um, I eat really well. I sleep as much as I can. I try to manage stress to me. Those things actually kind of count as one though. Like when you said three, I'm like, there's so many, there's but, so many. Yeah. You know, it's that it's my commitment to making myself the best version of myself that I can, the mm -hmm. happiest version of myself that I can. And then everything that I do for my health, that's just, it's like one and infinite all at once. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Max, how about you? We can just get the audio. Yeah. So, uh, doing my training, my ticker training is probably one of my number one things. Uh, number two is making sure I drink enough water, mm -hmm. but probably the, the most impactful thing on my health and my day-to-day -day, uh, enjoyment of life is making sure I, I laugh, uh, play with my kids and and, um, you know, have a good time with my wife. Those are probably the things that I noticed the greatest impact on, on improving my health. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah. All right. What is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something that you're working on? For me, it's balance, you know, mm -hmm when you feel unstoppable because you work so hard to be unstoppable, <laughs> it's finding that balance of yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. you know, right. wanting Slowing down is hard, right? <laughs> For all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so true. How about you, Max? Managing my stress a little bit, letting, uh, you know, taking more time to relax in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking more time to do all those things that I know improve my health, I guess. Um, <laughs> totally. Maybe, so even, maybe. even coming from these two who, um, I think are doing it better than anyone. We're still, all of us can work on slowing down and relaxing more, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. For, for sure. sure. Here with you, Kate. So last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? The life I lead now. Absolutely. I mean, working on balance, um, doing something that I love helping people, you know, feeling good, feeling unstoppable, you know, being able to spend time with my kids, being able to help people, you know, reach their best selves. Um, I can't really ask for anything else. It's amazing. Well, yeah. So pretty much being able to do anything physically that I want, sleeping well, having good laughs. If somebody calls me and says, uh, you want to go mountain biking or a hike or do something ridiculously physical, I'm not afraid of it. Well, I might be afraid of it, but I could still do it. How about that? That's fair. That's fair. That's yeah. great. So Awesome. Well, I really appreciated this conversation and everything that you guys are doing and just the way that you are always trying to find ways to improve yourselves and help your members and other people improve their health um, and doing it in a very objective way. So thank you for everything that you all have done. And if people listening want to check out more about ticker training or what you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter under Ticker Fitness, and um, that's our website as well, tickerfitness.com. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you guys so much.
Thank Thanks you. for having us, Julie. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. 